0: Romans chapter 14. We have seen so far in chapter 12 how believers are to live and function in the body of Christ. God has given you gifts to be able to function within the body. In chapter 13, we also learn how believers are to live and function in society. <laughs> We're supposed to get along with the government and along with non-believers, our neighbors to the left to the right of us our coworkers. And today in chapter 14 we now look and see Paul addresses how believers are to live with other believers who may not, dis- may not agree on everything. They disagree on certain things. On the non-essentials, those times sometimes come up. There are people just on like the non-essentials, don't agree. Ah, I don't see it that way. Oh, that's that's a good, as long as it's a non-essential. But be- even with the non-essentials, it can bring about, at times, Christian disunity. And that is what the subject is today, Christian disunity. And we see Christian disunity, sadly, has always been a major problem with God's people. It's nothing new under the sun here. We see the Galatian believers would bite and devour one another through malicious gossip and uh, character slander. In Galatians 5.15 we see that. We also see that the, the Corinthian believers were divided over who should be the leader and how to lead, and even a brother will go as far as Sue, or take the law against a brother. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, and also chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. We also know and see that we in Colossians and Ephesus, Colossians 2, and Ephesians 4, that they were reminded consistently and constantly of the importance of Christian unity. And even in Philippi. We see women, two women, at odds with each other, and the result was the splitting of the church of Philippi because women would not agree over even the non essentials, or at least stay focused on the essentials and, and let the non essentials not be a splitting issue. And that's Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3. We even see all the way back to the Old Testament civil wars and family disunity among the people of Israel. And so, no wonder the psalmist said in one uh, one thirty three verse one. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So we know and see how important it is as brothers and sisters we dwell in unity. And we see then, and even today, Christian disunity can come about because of multiple or multitude of backgrounds of believers in the churches. Everyone has a big different background. Everyone was raised a different way. Everyone was, came from a different flair of, of the body of Christ because there's such diversity out there. But we see in Acts 15 that the first church debate was over the relationship between now you're a Christian and how does the law play into this. So there was a huge debate that we see in the first church. The Gentiles struggled with this, as we will see, with the requirement of special diets and special days of when you're supposed to worship or not worship. We see the fact that even the Jews were were saved, but they were still struggling and trying to get around this whole thing of the law and how they were supposed to live after the law. And how how do they not forget that and now live under grace? And they're struggled with that. Unfortunately, we have the same challenges today with so much attention on these gray areas of life within the church body, within between believers, and it's not clear to believers if it's right or wrong or what should or should not be done. But make sure we keep it very simple here, and I love keeping things simple. When we look at the scriptures, some topics in scriptures are clearly wrong. The Bible is very clear and it condemns those things. There's no gray areas in certain things that we read in the scriptures. There's also other topics that are clearly right. Because the Bible is clear and commands us to do certain things. And it's solid. There's no debatable issues of those things. But unfortunately, people want what they want, so they still want to debate about them because they want to find the loophole. How close can we get not doing what we think is command? I'm sure God doesn't really mean that. I'm sure he's flexible and his grace will allow me to continue to do. No, those are clear things. We're not the touchy. No touchy of those things. And yes, some topics are not clearly defined in Scripture, and we find today when there is Christian Disunity over these things that are gray and how they should or shouldn't be done based on how you see what the you think the scripture says. But Paul is going to address that here today by giving us some principles, some things to address or to think about before you start coming in and we start having this disunity over these non-essentials. And so Paul explains that we may disagree on non-essentials of the faith and still maintain unity in the church. It's okay. You can still not completely agree on certain things, but that doesn't mean you should cause disunity. We can still have unity. And so he gives the church warnings, admonitions, regarding Christian disunity today. And in here, in Romans fourteen, verse one, he says, right in the very beginning, he says, "Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things." See, Paul is addressing those who have who are strong in the faith. He says, "Okay, you are strong in the faith, you need to receive, you need to accept those who are weak in the faith." Because by receiving or accepting the one who is weak in the faith, but we are not to receive them for the sake of carrying on a debate with them regarding doubtful things. See, there's a difference. Oh, I want you to come in because you're weak in your faith, because I really want to hammer away on you the things that are these non-essentials you need to get over with. No, that's not why we accept people to come into the church and to fellowship with us. We're coming along to love them. To encourage them, allow the Holy Spirit to do a work through the studying of the Word of God to to do a work in their lives because they're different at a different point in their walk with Christ. See, in Rome, there were two groups, two camps, two cliques. The first camp was the Jewish Christians who were reluctant to give up certain ceremonial aspects of their religious heritage. This is tradition. How could we dare get rid of that? How is this whole grace and no, no, we're not going to give up with this stuff. We're going to keep it. We like certain things. We'll keep this, keep that. No, 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 we don't want that. You know, that's not that's how they were behaving or thinking. They were they were uncertain or doubts, doubtful things that were about uh, the faith in Christ that affected the purposes of the Old Testament rules and regulations that they had studied and right from. Birth. the second camp of Christians embraced the new freedom in Christ, the grace. They embraced it and was not burdened by the overly sensitive things of having to keep the old religious rules and regulations of the law. They embraced the grace. They understood what the the scriptures said. And so you had these two camps that were wanting to be in unity. They wanted to dwell together and worship and to serve their God. But they had these things that they just weren't willing to give up or they completely for free to give up because they recognized the grace of God. But we're commanded here to receive one who is weak in the faith. These are words to take very seriously as a a believer. Paul warns us not to make spiritual maturity... A requirement for fellowship. Um, how long have you been a Christian? Um, you're not a member of the church. No, you can't do anything. You, you need to go find another church. We only accept those who are uh, solid, and we can, but we really know that you've been a Christian. for. No, 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 you don't base that on that. Are you a believer? Yes, come, sit, learn, let's fellowship, let's dwell together in unity. Paul warns us to make not make spiritual maturity a requirement for fellowship, but we should distinguish between someone who is weak versus someone who is rebellious. That's a whole other issue. Why? Because there are some Christians who will come into the fellowship or come around you that are weak because, for four reasons, they're baby Christians. They just got saved. They just, they're just babe Christians and they don't know, they have never opened up the Bible only because of one person opened up the scriptures, shared the good news, they got saved. Now they're looking for a place to learn. Another reason is they could be, not only because they're a babe in Christ, they could be sick or diseased. They, they could have legalism. That was their background. They were so, come from a denomination that was so much legalism that that was causing them to be sick and diseased. They're still trying to heal from what they were taught in the past. They may be malnourished. They could be lack of sound biblical teaching for all these years that they've been a Christian. They've been topiced out on all kinds of things. But they haven't really studied the scriptures in totality, in context. It's going to take them time to grow and mature. And it's okay. We're going to be patient. We're going to love them and help them, and encourage them. Or it could be the fact that they lack exercise. There was no, there was needing exhortation in their life. They're not used to someone saying, you really need to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take these steps of faith. You need to learn and you need to grow. You need to understand the scripture. Do not do those things. See, people don't like that. They've never been exercised. (laughs) Have you ever gone from no exercise to an exercise program? The flesh really gets really ugly. It's the same thing within the Christian body. You're trying to teach them and exhort them in the truths of God, and they do. their flesh gets ugly. They don't want to be told. But the scripture is very clear. It's encouraging. It, it's good. It's right. That's why we allow people to come and to sit and to grow. Because if they learn how to pray, if they learn how to study the word of God, and if they learn how to fellowship in unity, Ultimately, they're just going to naturally want to serve their God. They want to serve the Lord freely, whatever, Lord, you want me to do. It's a beautiful thing. Now, he gives, he doesn't leave us, you know, hanging there going, okay, what's doubtful things? In verse 2, Paul says, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. (laughs) <laughs> well, I know some of you are going, vegetable? Vegetarian? There's something wrong. See, here that's what Paul was talking about. That's something You should follow along here on this one if that's what you were thinking. See, the weak in faith were immature believers who felt obligated to obey legalistic rules concerning what they ate. That's who was the weak here. Paul looks at those who refuse to eat meat and eat only vegetables... For their spiritual reason. They they could perhaps in 1 Corinthians 8. We see that perhaps they refused it. Because they feared it was meat sacrificed to a pagan god. And I'm not going to touch that meat. Or perhaps they refused the meat. Because it was not kosher. And they stuck to the Jewish dietary regulations and traditions. And we're going to hold on to those traditions. I'm not going to eat it. It's not kosher. But in Paul's mind, the weaker brother is the stricter one, the one who was going above and beyond and adding and putting in unnecessary burdens on themselves and because they thought that made them more religious or more righteous or more higher than thy, right? But Paul says, no, no, you're a weak Christian if you're going down that path, not a strong Christian. they were weaker because of their legalistic attitudes and lack of love toward others that's what happens undoubtedly this these weak ones did not see themselves as weaker they actually thought they were strong in their faith it's like they thought they were the strong ones and the meat eaters were the weak ones restrain yourself. You don't have self-control, self-discipline. It must, because you're eating that meat, you're, you, you still need to grow up. No. See, some legalism was a way of making us think that we are strong and those who don't keep the rules the way we do, then they must be weak in their faith. But that's not what Paul is saying to you and I today. In Verse 3 he says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Brothers, sisters, God loves the meat eaters and the vegetable eaters. He loves them both. So we are not to despise someone because of their stance on a non essential thing about eating meat or not eating meat. It shouldn't cause cause Christian disunity. The church of Rome was, uh, was to welcome into its fellowship those Jewish believers who were finding it difficult to go out or go into from or, or kind of separate from their religious legalistic path. But we're not to judge someone because of that stance that they were finding themselves still in. The tendency of those who eat whatever they want Look down upon of those who, still in their conscience, says, "I just can't let go of those that tradition yet. I still think there's, I, I, I can't eat that meat." And, and their conscience still puts on them that they, they shouldn't touch that. So the ones who have been free, their conscience is free. They realize of the grace. They're not to, to, you know, to condemn or judge those who still eat the meat. Give them the freedom. God will do the work in their lives. Who are you to then to, to judge them? Freedom is, is, is such, is such a, it's a great thing. It's so great to have that freedom finally, especially if you come from a legalistic background and have the freedom in Christ. But the challenge and the warning that we get here from Paul is that we don't want to then become some religious superiority over those who still are growing in the faith. That's a danger. We don't want that to happen. Or vice versa, the person who does not eat everything must not sit in judgment upon the one who does still. I think St. Augustine says it very clearly for us as Christians today. Take note of this. St. Augustine, I've heard this repeated by so many teachers over the years. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, Charity. On the foundational, essential faith, essential faith, the faith essentials, we must have unity. That that is that is that has to happen. But in the non-essentials, we just have to give liberty. Let let God work that out in the, those lives. And all these other things, these other little. Emotions that we can get caught up in? Charity. Be gracious. And then first four, he says, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he who he, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. See, Paul reminds us that it isn't our place to pass judgment on any fellow Christian. They stand or fall before their own master, and that is God and God alone. You're not their master. You are not to lord over them. God is able to make those meat eaters stand (laughs) just like he's going to help those who are vegetarians stand. The strong as well as the weak will stand before the Lord and is able to make them stand, stand firmly in their faith and their walk for Christ. Remember, it is so encouraging to know that our success in the Christian life does not depend on the opinions or the attitudes of other Christians. God is Jesus who defines us, not all people to the left or to the right of us. And as a servant, Christians should be busy working for the Lord. Then they will not have the time to judge or condemn other Christians. Believers who are busy winning souls to Christ, having more important things to do than critically investigate the lives of other saints. Verse 5, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord and he who does not observe the day to the the Lord, he does not observe it. So we... Paul gives us another. Besides the food, let's talk about these religious days, these festivals, the Sabbath. Let's talk about these things because these are non-essentials and it's causing division. It's causing the Christian disunity here among the brothers and sisters. And there's considerable diversity in the early church. Some believers regard certain days as more sacred than others. The Old Testament law had declared that uh, feast days were um, uh, consecrated or in, to God in a special way. And the Sabbath, for instance, had its own set of rules that they were to follow. Other believers, however, regarded all days of the week as Sabbath. Every day you worship God. Every day you honor God. Every day you served your God. There wasn't a day that you shouldn't worship and serve him wasn't just a one- day thing a week. But again, it should not cause division or Christian disunity, allow God to work in their life as they mature and go from weak to strong and understand that they're to worship God all day, every day and to serve him. But it's based notice it's based on the believer's conscience. It must be convinced for him or her whether or not to regard certain days more sacred than others. And those who observe special day or days, do it in honor of the Lord. Whatever your conscience is saying and whatever the Lord has put in your heart to to that special day is a sacred day for you and your family. If you're convinced of that, your conscience, do it to unto the Lord. Don't do it for anybody else. If you worship and serve him every day, do that unto the Lord. Don't do it because someone tells you you have to. Your conscience needs to be right with God in those things. And then the second part of six is we see he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks. God, or, And gives God thanks. So whatever the stance or position you find yourself, just honor God and give thanks to God. Just praise him for what he's doing in your life at that point in time. There's no difference in their motivation, but both conduct themselves in such a way as to please their Lord. For none of us lives to himself. And no one dies to himself. Paul says to well, so all these believers, live out their lives ac- accountable to God. You know, you don't live just for yourself. You don't live for yourself. It's not all about you. It's, it's not all the selfish focus kind of, I'm even in a religious realm, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Whatever you do, be accountable to God. Decisions about these special days and what you eat are not made in isolation, but in accordance with the will of God as understood by the individual that God is speaking to. And we've got to constantly have to remember that we don't live in isolation bubbles as a Christian. We all have an influence on other people around us daily. And we must understand that from the beginning to end, life is connected to others and what you do affects everyone around you did you hear me that what we choose to do good or bad affects those around you just be in the will of God Do what he's calling you to do. Make sure your conscience is right with him. And then just honor him and glorify him and just love him. It's a beautiful life as a Christian. You know that. (laughs) It's a great life. For if we live, or we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord, Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. (laughs) To live means to honor the Lord. Live out your life honoring the Lord. And when you die, you're going to honor the Lord too. You'll be in his presence, in his arms, and just, oh, can you wait for that day? It's going to be awesome. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 5.10. Each Believer belongs to God and it is out of place for anyone else to question the decisions of another in matters of non-essential to the faith. You and I are not to judge what other people are dealing with in the non-essentials. Essentials, yes. Non-essentials, no. For, the, for, to, this, for to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. See, the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection was that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. His lordship is universal. Christ has the authority over those who are alive at the present time, and all who have died previously are subject to his authority and his authority alone. Therefore, he is the judge of all. We are not to be the judge of all. Paul continues, verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? (laughs) Then why do you do it? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know that? Do you realize you're going to be standing in the front of the seat of judgment over what you and I do in regards to judging others? It says even in verse 11, for it is written, Paul quotes out of Isaiah 45, 23 here. He says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. See, Paul asked, but why then? Why do you weak believers, the abstainers, from eating meat, pass judgment on your brothers in Christ who do not abstain for the sake of their conscience. It's okay for them to eat that meat. Why are you, why are you coming against judgment about, to them? And in turning to the strong believers, Paul is asking the same question. Why, why are you showing contempt to these weaker Christians who are still kind of holding on to some of the things that they, they grew up with and they're with the religious rules and regulations? was wrong for them to look down and despise or look down and disrespect their fellow believers who are not yet able to, they're not at that point of maturity allowing them to understand that they have the freedom. But here in 10 it's very clear that it states that without question that all believers will be judged. Now the judgment that he's speaking to is not in regards to someone's salvation, that is not what he's talking about when it comes to, to judgment. Because according to John 5 verse 24, the believers already ha- already crossed over from death to life. Eternal life is in the present possession, 1 Corinthians 3 verses 10 through 15. So we're not talking about their salvation in judgment. They're talking about what they did as Christians while they were on this earth and how they treated and loved others. and, And it was in unity in the body, serving and doing what God's called them to do. Because there will be, every believer will have this judgment day, this judgment on the quality of his or her life. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What is the judgment seat? It's referring to the Bema seat. We see in the scripture the Bema seat. It's like the the judge at the um, uh, Olympics, where You've performed. You run your race. You've done what you're going to do, and you come in front of the judge, and they rate you or they decide on how well you did in the finish line in that race, and say you got first, you got second, and you got third. They reward them for what they've done in the race, and that takes place at that judgment seat to receive the crowns for the first, second, third place, whatever they did in that race in verse 12 so then each of us shall give account of himself to God so when you get in front of the Bema seat in front of the, judge, uh, the judgment seat God is going to look and say all right tell me what you've done I know it all I have it everything I haven't forgotten anything good or bad let's let's talk about these things And each and every believer will stand before that seat and give God account of themselves before God. How did they run their race on this earth as a Christian? I will be responsible for the things I've done, and you will be responsible for what you've done. And the Christian works will be tested by fire and he will be rewarded for which remain. So when you get there and you understand when you get to the bema seat, it's not about your salvation. That already was dealt with. Now it's to sit in front of that seat and say, "Now let's take a look concerning your rewards I'm going to give you and the position you will have in the kingdom to come. What is you were faithful then I'm going to be make you in charge of many in the new millennium. You weren't faithful, you didn't follow through, you didn't do this. Those are just going to burn away. You're going to get no rewards for those things. But God is a God, is a a fair God, a just God, and he's going to righteously work those things and look at your life. And it goes all down to the attitude you had, the heart. That's what it's all about. It's not the volume. It's not the amount of money you've given to the Lord. It's not about the amount of hours you've given to the service of the Lord. It's not the amount of people you've reached with the good news and the gospel and and they they became saved. It's the heart. Did you love God? Did you love others? The two great commandments. As we stand before God, Jesus Christ to be judged, the standard by which we'll be judged is the same as we use to judge others. Matthew 7, verses 1 in the first part of 2 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what you judgment you judge, you will be judged. But there are times that you and I are to judge. Did you know that? There are times we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, we are to judge ourselves when we come to the communion table. And before you partake of the communion, you are to look, you are to be honest with yourself, say, Lord, do I have anything, any wicked way in me? Judge where your heart is at that moment before you take communion. Be right with the Lord. Repent of the things before you take communion. But we're to judge, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So the Lord is going to take a look at the works of our motives. And unfortunately, much of Christian work today, individuals do it for a psychological reason. It is for their self-focus, self-gain, and self-fulfillment. I just feel like I need to do it and for my own sake and say, I just, I got to fulfill that for myself but remember the long run the long race this is this is a this is a long race this is not a short little sprint here the long run is that the soundness of our faith is established by the quality of life it produces what people say and do is the most accurate indicator of what they really believe and that's what we want our actions And what comes out of our mouth and what people see coming from our lives is good fruit. Not bad fruit. That's why he says, therefore, verse 13, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve. Let's settle this. Settle this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your or a cause to fall in your brother's way, Paul says. There's no room in the family of God for one group to pass judgment on another. There's no justification because if you do, you can cause people to stumble. You can cause people to be grieved. You can cause even people to be destroyed in their walk in regards to being and, uh, uh, by being judged. And we can do that two ways. You can stumble someone. You can, you can grieve someone in two ways. Come along your brother and, and discourage them and beat them down through legalism. That will not be good for that brother. You can come along with them and try to entice them into doing something out of the, oh, this is grace, brother, you can do it, God will forgive you, oh, no big deal. And you can entice them to do sin that otherwise they call liberty. We have liberty to do these things. No, you're going to cause that brother to stumble because it is sin for that person. So be very careful not to stumble a brother. You know, Jesus settled this on the Sermon on the Mount. He settled this matter once and for all. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged, Matthew 7. See, this warning, this admonition that Paul is giving here can many times be misinterpreted to mean that you will never, you can never disapprove of anything any other person says or does. If they say or do something and come against you, you can't disapprove of that. You just have to accept them the way they are. Well, it depends on if you're talking to a person who's a brother or not. It depends on if that brother's rebellious or not. So when you hear someone say, oh, you can't judge me, brother. No, no, I can be a fruit inspector. And Paul here said it was time for the believers in Rome to stop criticizing and being having a critical spirit against another. That's what he's saying here. Because Paul says in verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. If he says I'm not touching it, then this is what his conscience is saying. I'm not touching it. Yet if your brother is greed because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food to the your food the one for whom Christ died. So he's basically he's really keeping it very simple here. Very intrinsically, naturally, Paul is saying there's really nothing unclean. He even said that to Timothy, did he not? He said to Timothy 4:4, 4, 4, he says, Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And even Jesus in in Matthew 15 verses 10 and 11 and and 16 through 20 says, Jesus taught that it is is not what goes in the mouth that makes a person unclean, but what comes out. Because what comes out of the mouth is from the heart. But Paul was not saying that sin is a matter of personal opinion either was not teaching that as long as we think something is okay and say it enough times over and over and like it's true, then it's okay for us to do it and, and you'll just have to accept that in me. That's the latest that we see today. Someone just repeats a lie long enough and knows that at some point someone's going to actually think that's actually truth. It doesn't change it. It doesn't change the fact that still that's false. Scripture clearly teaches that certain things are wrong. And there are, however, there, there are, however, other matters about which there might be legitimate differences of opinions on how to approach something. And that's okay, as long as it doesn't cause disunity among the brothers. Paul's instruction is clear. Do not allow your own freedom of conscience to destroy your brother or sister for whom Christ died. Because there is nothing you can justify. There's nothing you can say or do that justifies the destruction of a Christian brother over food. That's ridiculous. That's foolishness. But amazing, even today, a food can be a divisional thing among the brothers and the sisters. It's amazing. Because we not, maybe not food, but put on another category. Anytime you or someone tries to influence you with their words and their manipulation to get you to do something their way, and it goes against your conscience, it goes against what you know, that just, you need to stop. You need to, like, stop. Don't don't come. Don't talk and try to manipulate me to do those things. You're violating my conscience in this, and I'm not settled with this. And it's okay for you as a brother or sister to tell them, stop. I don't want to hear it. No, I'm not going. No, I'm not tasting of that. I consider something to be unclean then for me it is unclean and there's no touchy for me and I don't care how you're going to try to convince me to touch it I'm not touching it until God says it's okay for me to touch it and why should we have that passion why should we have that firm foundation in that it's because my relationship up to God is based on faith and it's not based on sight It's certainly not based on my belly. (laughs) We won't go there. (laughs) See, there's so many things that can hinder our faith. And one of those greatest hindrances is sin. And Satan just loves to know what God told you not to touch And then come alongside and try to convince you to touch it. Ask Eve. And if he couldn't convince you to touch it. Well then Satan then loves to come along. And says oh but remember you've sinned before. He never says sin. He just says you've done it before. You enjoyed it before. Look at the person to the left and to the right. of you. They do it. And as soon as you say, you're right, they're doing it, I guess I had the freedom to do it too. Forgetting that God told you, no, you're not, you don't have the freedom to do it. And you go follow through and do it. And now what happens is Satan comes along and says, ah, accuses you. I told you. Condemns you. Oh, God is not going to love you for this. Keeps us from those things that God wants to give you and I. Satan loves to point out our failures and our weaknesses and claiming we are worthless for him. That's what he does. He tries to get you to go down paths just so that he can turn around and use it against you. But remember, but God. But God blesses you and I on the basis of his grace and love for you. That's what he bases it on. In verse 16, therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. These are not essential things, people. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. If we would just stay focused on those things. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteous living. Pharisees, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, oh man, they had it so wrong. They are like many Christians today. They major on the minor things. They're so wrapped up in the minor things and versus just staying focused on the essential things of the faith. Keeping a simple, childlike faith. And those who do choose to serve Christ by recognizing that food and drink are secondary matters, pursues the higher foundational essential priorities which brings pleasure to our God and it brings acceptance by others. Our liberty in Jesus and the freedom from the law is good. It's very good but not if we use it to destroy another brother in Christ. And if we do that, then we it could truly rightly be spoken of as evil as people watch upon what goes on. And we don't want that. And that's why Paul said, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace. The things by which one may edify another, not tear them down, edifying another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Let's do things that bring us together rather than divide us it's going to divide us don't don't do it if you have any doubt as we will see in the scriptures today if you have any doubt don't do it because it's not acceptable by God let us build up one another in the faith especially the weaker brother even if we have the personal liberty we do not have the liberty to stumble or offend or weaken another brother come on over brother we're watching the game that's great There's there's unity. But be very careful. I've seen it happen in the years of the ministry. You then take on the liberty that you bring out the six-pack and just automatically assume it's okay. They have the liberty to drink. And you cause a brother to stumble. Be very careful. Just because you have the liberty to have a drink does it mean God has given that person the liberty to drink? Amen? Are you with me? It's very careful. Because Paul's conclusion is that believers are to make every effort to do those things that lead to peace and to mutual upbuilding. Be careful. You can do a right thing in a wrong way. You can do it so offensively, it becomes an act of evil, the scriptures say. And although peace with God was the central focus Paul is telling you and I today, the thought, the peace he spoke of here was the peace within the family of believers. Christian history shows numerous examples of people absolutely passionate about the non-essentials, and they have felt at liberty to bring disunity in the church just to get their point across of what they want to have happen. You will believe what I believe. And they bring division for the sake of their particular petty fetish and their fleshly desires. I want what I want, and I'm going to convince you at the same thing. We are not to destroy what God is doing in the body. Don't reach over just because you have a hammer in your hand. Come over and have the liberty to think like you could just smack the thumb of the other hand. Do you not going to feel the radiant pain across the whole body? Yes, you will. While freedom is a right as a believer. We have freedom in Christ it is not a guide for your conduct freedom is not what guides your conduct love serves that purpose love is what is to guide your conduct not the freedom our rights are to be laid aside in the interests of love That principle was firmly established by the Incarnation, and we see that in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. We are to do things out of love, not out of our freedom to say what we want to say, when we want to say it, and how to say it. If it's not flavored with love, then don't say it. And he continues in verse 22. He says, do do you have faith? Do you have faith, brothers and sisters? Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. See, there are certain truths that all Christians must accept because they are the foundational essentials of our faith. Period. You must know those. Hold on to those. Don't let anyone come in and try to debate you to get you to sway from those. Those are false religions. Those are wolves. Those are false teach. You do not budge on the essentials. But Paul is saying, if you have a strong faith and feel liberty to partake of certain things, those non-essential things, praise God. But have your strong faith before God, not before a brother who will stumble. Don't stumble someone else. You will be a very happy person in your Christian walk if your heart doesn't condemn yourself. Liberty in Christ has set you free from all bondage. And not every Christian that is to the left and to the right or in front of you today has the same level of conviction or the same, or they're they're weak, maybe weak in their, their, their their walk. And you have to be very careful because they you have this freedom and and happiness to say and all these things you do in your freedom of liberty here as a Christian, but be very careful of those you're talking to because they may not have that same freedom yet. They're still working out their walk. They're working out their salvation. They're still, they don't understand these things. And there are things God may challenge us to give up in our life that he may not say to another person yet. One of the things I love about God is the fact that when I first got saved, he didn't sit there and lay it all out in front of me and say, Corey, now let me give you the millions of things in your life that needs to change. And it better happen today. Because he knows you and I couldn't handle that. I remember the six months to a year and year after year. And as soon as you think you've arrived, you think, oh, God, I've given, that just faded away in my life. That's no longer messes with me. I I, I just, such grace and such love and just, these things don't plague me anymore. And he says, okay, now we're going to go deeper. We're going to go to another part of your life you never thought. And you're like, where did that come from? And that pride just surfaced. Jealousy. But remember, God is working all of us at different times in our lives and what he's working on. Just because he's worked it in your life, you don't become now the soldier of God and I'm going to whip it and, and, and cut it out of your life. No, let the Holy Spirit gently work it out of their life. It's not You're not the one doing it. He's, he's ready to move on to other things he wants to cut out of your life. But each of us must ask, very and very important question. God, what is there in my life hindering me to have a closer walk with you? When's the last time you asked that question of the Lord? What's in my life that's hindering me from a closer walk with you? I want to know that the happiness that comes from not condemning myself by what I expect in my life. I mean, this takes a lot of faith. It takes a faith to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to be just open with God. And I say, okay, God, what is it that I'm, it's causing me not to have a close walk with you? What am I, what's in my thought process? What's in walk? What's going on here, Lord? I want, if there's find any wicked way in me, Lord. It takes faith. That It takes a step. And the reason why we don't take that step of faith is because we have things in our lives we're not quite ready to let go of. We're afraid that what's going to happen? I need to know how it's all going to work out before I do this. No, no, that's faith. You have to take a step of faith first. Then he'll reveal And it's amazing to me how we will cling on to the things that will destroy us, thinking that it makes us happy. Oh, I know this relationship is not right. I know it's not, but I'm not going to talk to God about it because I, I get really convicted. But she, Or he makes me so happy. But you're in sin. You're not doing it God's way. I love my computer and I just yo, know, it gives me the whole realm of contact with the world. But the things that you're going out there and grabbing a hold of through that mechanism needs to be protected because it's taking you some good things and it's taking you also some really bad things. See, real happiness is found being closer and closer to Jesus and not being condemned by what we approve of in our life. Be very careful of what you approve of in your own life because it could be actually destroying you. Make sure those things are in line with the word of God and God's your conviction of your conscience. Make sure that you are settled and at peace with God with those things. And if you have no peace, if there's no doubt, no touching. Because it's not good for you. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Paul concludes here with a very simple principle for you and I. Regarding the gray areas of life. Regarding the gray conversations and topics and how things should go. He has a very clear principle in our life. If we can't do it in faith, then it is sin. Woo! Paul hits hard when he writes, doesn't he? If you're about to do something and you are doubting and you're not clear and you're not sure and you don't have the peace of God and and your conscience is not settled right and you're wanting to have it all work out the way you want, that is going to be sin. You better be very careful in your decisions. And Paul gives us a wonderful check on our tendency to justify for ourselves and the things we permit in our lives. And if we are troubled by something, and it, it is likely not of faith and is likely as sin in us. And God has called us to a life of faith. He asks us to trust him. Trust in the willingness to put all of life before God for his approval. God, everything I'm doing, everything I'm going, every decision I'm making, and regardless of my life, I put in front of you. Is this approval to you? Am I good to go with this, or are you tell me, God, I'm not supposed to do it, regardless of how much I want it. If you say no, I will, it's a no. Because I want a consciousness, and when I put my head on the pillow. I want to know I have that consciousness of just, of just peace, that I know that I'm in the will of God. And I'm doing it by faith, even though I don't know how it's all going to play out. I just know it's the right thing. Remember, our conscience is strengthened by knowledge. But knowledge must be balanced by love. Otherwise, what we find ourselves is it tears down instead of builds up the body and may result in Christian disunity.